one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career render, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Good morning, thanks for tuning in. Recording from the BTG Studios in Rochester, New York, this is the Beyond the Game program. Glad to have you along as we talk sports through this next hour, mixing in a faith perspective along the way. I'm Rick Benson. Off this week is the program's producer, Zach Barletta. You can follow the BTG program on your favorite social media platform. Our handle is at BTG Program, or stop by our website, btgprogram.com. This is an encore presentation of the Beyond the Game program, as I hope you and your family are enjoying a happy and safe Independence Day weekend. This first segment is taken from our April 29th show. Zach and I talk about the hockey playoffs, one of our favorite subjects. We get into a little bit about Joe Thornton and his incredible toughness playing in that final series with a torn ACL and MCL. The conversation comes around to the need to be compassionate and the kind of compassion that Jesus showed, because along the way in life, we're going to have people that just rub us the wrong way. As I'm sure we rub other people the wrong way, this is that segment from the April 29th program. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name, and the best game you can name. Appropriate bumper, Zach, for this segment. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta, recording the Beyond the Game program from Rochester, New York btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. We want to say hello to those listening from Pembroke, Massachusetts. They've joined many others from across the nation and even in many places around the world who downloaded last week's podcast. And you can too. Just look for the show on iTunes or find it at our website, btgprogram.com. Born in Pembroke, Massachusetts was Eric Flame, who won a silver medal in speed skating at the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary. Maybe it's him who's listening. Or maybe it's Pat Selstam, another speed skater. He won a silver medal in a, in the World Cup a year later. Oh, Pembroke, Pem- a hotbed of speed skating. <laughs> also, the number one place for second place finishers. All right. <laughs> the almost, I almost made it cap it of the world. <laughs> of course, I'm joking. Pembroke is also the birthplace of a few professional soccer players and really many, many fine and good-looking people. Also born in Pembroke, Massachusetts, was the great left-winger, Kevin Stevens. You remember Kevin Stevens, Zach? Part of the Stanley Cup winning Pittsburgh Penguins team. He skated on the same line as Mario Lemieux. He also played for a number of NHL teams, uh, other NHL teams, including your own New York Rangers. Kevin Stevens. Easy to get overlooked when you're on a line with Lemieux. It It is, but he was a, he was a great player. Did you know? Perhaps this even qualifies as useless information, although that's really your bit. You have a lot of useless information in your head. It's as useless as the Winter Olympics. You are useless, Ignacio. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Kevin Stevens had a couple of baseball major league tryouts. Invites, I should say. He actually declined them. He was invited to try out with the Toronto Blue Jays, the Philadelphia Phillies, and he declined them both, choosing instead to go to Boston College on a hockey scholarship. 
And speaking of hockey, we have mentioned it really many times, including last week. But hockey fans, hockey players, hockey people, I should say, they're just a different breed of people. Boy, I mean, that's the truth. Take my good friend Zach here. You know, <laughs> he lives his life just a little bit left of center, and as does free agent to be Joe Thornton of the San Jose Sharks. Thornton suffered a knee injury in, back in April 2nd, the early part of the, the month, and though he didn't play in games one or two of their series, their opening round match with the Edmonton Oilers, he did manage to notch two assists in four postseason games in the series, After the Sharks were eliminated four games to two, it was revealed that he played with a torn ACL and a torn MCL. That's just unbelievable. I can't, like a lot of people, I said this the other day to somebody at work, you have even one of those injuries, it's hard to like even get out of bed or go down a set of stairs. Like the fact that he was playing playoff hockey and notched a couple of assists is just, it seems physically impossible. How in the world do you do that? I'm pretty confident he is significantly tougher than I am. <laughs> well, just look at his beard. I mean, oh, he's got good beard. That maybe that's that's the a tough of guy it. beard because yeah. it's a little wrangly and and there's un- like animals living camp. in it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was taken by surprise by the Sharks' first round loss. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, last year they they represented in the the West and played for mm. the Cup a year ago. Then they get taken out by Edmonton, and I, I certainly mean no disrespect to Edmonton, but I was expecting San Jose to take care of business there and go pretty yeah. deep into the playoffs. Certainly not to get swept. No. Well, no, they didn't get swept. It was oh, four games right. to that's two, right. wasn't it? Yes. Man, there's a bunch of surprises out west. Now, Chicago, they lost. And they, they did get swept. They did get swept. And St. Louis disposed of the Minnesota Wild fairly easily, mm-hmm. and that I was expecting a good series, but... The Wild were terrific all year long, mm-hmm. and then lose to St. Louis the way they did. It just—it's just not how I've expected to see it go. Yeah, I expected that to be a long series with two really evenly matched teams trading blows, and to be a really fun series to watch. And uh, St. Louis took care of them with ease. It looked like. Yeah, no surprises to me in the East, though. Were you surprised by anything you saw there? Not really. No. Um, the one thing I will say is that I've read a lot of people on Twitter and stuff saying, oh, the Rangers, you know, they played their cards right. They got the easy matchup in Ottawa. And I'm not overlooking Ottawa because you're in the second round of the playoffs now. Anybody can beat anybody. And you, you can't overlook a team until you've got the four wins. Yeah, I don't think you can overlook anybody when you get into the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're they're just – that's a different game. It's a different elevation. And that's why, I mean, I, I was surprised for San Jose to lose to Edmonton, and I certainly don't mean to dismiss Edmonton because, again, they made the playoffs and good for them. Right. But, but San Jose, Jose is a team that has been there and done that many times. And like we said, they went to the final last year. Edmonton, uh, you know, not many of their players have ever even played in a playoff game at, of any sort. So to see them knock off the Sharks and move on and, and look as good as they look without getting a whole lot of scoring from Connor McDavid either. I mean, just think about this team if he heats up and starts scoring goals. I mean, they're they're a good hockey team. I think we're going to talk more about that later, in fact. Getting back to Joe Thornton, I mean, he's going to be a free agent this offseason, and you, you wonder a little bit about what the Sharks might be thinking about with Joe Thornton and mm-hmm. what the market could be for an aging guy who's still a very good player. I mean, certainly a very tough player playing on a oh, torn yeah. ACL and MCL, but... He's long beyond his MVP year. He's long beyond those leading scorer days. It, I mean, to me, it just seems like yesterday. 
when I was looking up some of his stats when he was with the Boston Bruins, and he's been with the Sharks now since 2005, 2006. I was blown away by that. I didn't realize it had been that long. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Thornton is just one of three players in NHL history to record back-to-back 90-assist seasons? You know who the other two are? Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. Wow. That's pretty good company. Yeah. Do you remember the beef the Bruins had with him? Because I don't. I, I, I recall that there seemed to be some bitterness. And I it was most on the happened, Bruins part. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't. The Boston sent him, their captain, the team's leading scorer at the time, to San Jose. They got back Marcus Marco Sturm, Wayne Primu, and defenseman Brad Stewart. That's not a whole lot to get back it for a see, Joe Thornton. It seems underwhelming. Yeah, it certainly seems like the Sharks got the best of that deal. And a couple of years later, Mike O'Connell, he was the Bruins' general manager who made the deal. He goes on record saying that he would have still made the deal. Knowing what he knew later, he would have still made that deal. He took pride in the fact that Boston won a Stanley Cup before Thornton and the Sharks would ever. There was something about Thornton being a bad guy. That's, I, that's what I seem to remember why Boston wanted to move him, but I never remember hearing what it was that they thought made him a bad guy. I've never heard that. you know. And as I say, I don't really remember, or maybe I never even knew, but I'm not sure what went down there. But talking about this and looking up some of Joe Thornton's trade talk from years ago reminds me of the other day. I was talking to a guy, and he was just going on about some other fella who had been picked up by his softball team, and he talked about the guy being a bad dude. Just He's just a bad guy, a bad influence. He wasn't even sure he wanted to play softball now that no, he knew this other fellow was going to be on the team. And I asked him what made him such a bad guy. And he says, I, I just don't like him. Said, well, come on, there's got to be more to it than that. And he says, no, nah, you know, he's just a bad guy. And you might not like him, but that doesn't necessarily make him a bad guy. And you have you have people. Maybe part of your family, I don't know, who you really don't like all that much. <laughs> you know, they're just, I do. Mm-hmm. I've got people like that. Oh, and, yeah. You know, you have to love them. That's what we're commanded to do. But it's hard because I don't like them all that right. much. You but know? you don't have to like them. Yeah. And, you know, it just kind of shows that God is still working on my heart and that there's a lot of work there to do. And not because it's taking him a long time to do the work, because it's just it's really more me taking a long time to let him do that work. But, you know, some people just rub you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. They just kind of whatever it is, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. They just rub you the wrong way. And maybe I've already shared this with you, but there's a there's a guy at the gym. He's one of these guys that just rub me the wrong way. Guy that goes to the same gym I go to. And first off, Oh, my word, does he smell bad? I mean, he just stinks. And, okay, we're at a gym. Maybe that's, you know, come to be expected. But when he gets on a machine anywhere near me, I have to make believe like I was just finishing up and go get on something else. But then he doesn't take a towel or two to wipe the machine down. He takes half a roll. All right, that's not bad. He showers with the curtain open. How is that? How do you even do that? Water's getting everywhere. I, maybe he doesn't trust something. I don't know. But he, he has the curtain open, and he walks around completely naked, doesn't cover up. And I look, it's a locker room. I expect there's going to be a certain amount of nakedness, but you're going from one place to another. Wrap yourself up in a towel. Yeah, man. And there was this one time where he was talking to another guy in the locker room, and I'm sitting there on the bench putting my shoes on, 
And he's standing there with no towel talking to this other fella. And unfortunately for me, he was standing a lot closer to me than I would have been comfortable with or I was comfortable <laughs> with. And remember, I'm sitting, so, yeah. you know. Not comfortable. I, I actually had to say something because he didn't pick up on it. He's standing there. I'm like, um, excuse me, this is a little awkward. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, can, can you move back some? So am I I'm supposed to love my neighbor? But clearly, I'm still working on it because this cat rubs me the wrong way. But as a Christian, I need to be kind. I need to show compassion. I need to be friendly, but not too friendly, especially in that situation. <laughs> no, 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 no. But like O'Connell seemed to be after trading Thornton, we certainly shouldn't be holding on to bitterness. We, 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 you know, we shouldn't rejoice that someone else isn't having the same success that we might do or we might enjoy. But uh, most people do, don't they? They kind of rejoice oh, yeah. when other people are, aren't doing as well as they are. I mean, is it any wonder that people don't want anything to do with our Christianity when we act that way sometimes? There, you know, that was not the case with Jesus. And frankly, you know, our callousness or, or our lack of compassion, well, that's not drawing people to Jesus, not, not in the least. You could stand on a street corner with a bullhorn. And you could tell people they're going to hell, but without compassion, without being friendly, you really have very little chance of getting through to them. I didn't say no chance. I, look, God does amazing things through all kinds of different circumstances, mm. but Jesus knew compassion. He was he was righteous. He knew right from wrong, and he knew wrong from right. Consider the woman caught in adultery. We've mentioned this a few times, used her as an example in John chapter 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought this woman who was caught in the very act. And, you know, you can get the sense of their self-righteousness in this story when reading the account. But in verse 5, they remind Jesus. This is John chapter 8, verse 5. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? They want to trap Jesus. That's what they're trying to do here. They couldn't handle his righteousness. They couldn't handle his goodness. They were envious. It just kind of ate them up. And they looked for something, anything, that they could accuse him of. So Jesus tells the people that he that is without sin among you, let him ca cast the first stone at her. And the Bible tells us one by one, the accusers were convicted by their own consciences, their, their own conscience, their own guilt, and they simply left. Jesus turns to the woman, and he asks, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't have any. And he replies in verse 11, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Now don't misinterpret that. Jesus wasn't light on sin. He was heavy on love. He was heavy on compassion. Sinful people are going to do what sinful people do best, and that's sin. I, that's what we all do. We're all sinful people, and we're all in need of compassion at times, and this fella in the locker room is in need of compassion. And I, when we had that awkward situation, I'm trying to be friendly towards him, but yet, can you move your yeah. stuff away from my shoulder? Yeah. He's in know? need of pants, but also compassion. <laughs> well, well put. I might say the same thing that Jesus said, you know, when we rub somebody the wrong way. Because we all do. I'm sure I rub people the wrong way. He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone first. Jesus is willing to forgive all sin. The thing is to not, for us not to repeat it over and over. And I just, I... Mm -hmm. I know this is a long way from talking about Joe Thornton, but you're just thinking about, I can't remember what made Thornton a bad dude. I can't remember why Boston wanted so desperately to move him and moved him for really, they got nothing back. Mm -hmm. 
And then years later, that the, their former general manager still, well, I, I would still do it today. I, I just don't understand that kind of bitterness. And maybe he wasn't bitter. So I, uh, when we come in those situations, it's we need to be forgive, forgiving. Mm-hmm. We need to be showing compassion. The life of a Christian who genuinely is seeking after God, it's a life that's marked with love. It's marked with kindness. It's marked with forgiveness and we overlook those little faults, things that we might think make somebody a bad dude. Okay, this guy's going to play on my softball team. He rubs me the wrong way, but he's not necessarily a bad dude. He's got these quirks, and you got to overlook them. you got to try to move past them. We all have areas of our lives where we need more work, where our hearts need to be changed, where sin seems to have a tight grip on us and where we are easily tripped up. You know, It could be lust for women. could be pornography, lying, cheating. Who knows? Whatever it is, sin has cost us our a place in heaven. Uh, Jesus Christ, again, heavy on love, heavy on compassion. He's willing to forgive us as he did the woman at the uh, caught in adultery. And he's willing to forgive your sins too. In fact, he's already paid the debt of your sins when he gave his life on the cross. And he chose to give up his life as a sacrifice to pay the weight of your sins. He paid the weight of my sins. And he's the only one who could because he was righteous, he was holy. If you've come to a place in your life where you've gotten right with God, when then God looks at your sin, what he sees is Jesus paying it. He sees the blood of his son on the cross, that sacrifice being sufficient to redeem our sins. If we want a place in heaven, if we want a restored relationship with God, we need to accept that free gift of eternal life. We It means simply admitting uh, much like Chris Coughlin said in that testimony we shared earlier in the show, admitting to God you're a sinner, knowing that the cross is is not only true, but it's sufficient, and believing that Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death. And, and you just need to ask God to forgive you of your sins and accept him as your Savior. And, you know, I talk about needing work in my heart, and we all do, but only God can move one's heart in this way. Only God can do that. Romans 10, 10, 9, and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He has a free gift of eternal life, and there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's only by God's grace that he freely offers it through the shed blood of his Son on the cross. If you want to find out more about becoming a Christian, visit our website btgprogram.com. Send us an email here to the program. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta, and you're listening to the Beyond the Game program. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem, covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, 
Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Is here. Ram Sports Network, Christian Sports Television. That's right, Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee Wee to the pros, games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. Hey, it's Darren. Beyond the Game is a unique radio show that combines sports with faith and hopefully makes you laugh along the way. If you enjoy the show and want to listen again or have a friend you would recommend us to, subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes or get the link from our website, btgprogram.com. Beyond the Game. It's not a faith program with sports. It's a sports program with faith. Thanks for joining us, and welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. Rick Benson taking you through this encore presentation of BTG, setting up the different segments, introducing them to you. In fact, this next one comes from last week's show, June 24th. We talk about the disappointment, certainly to Glaber Torres of getting injured, but also to the Yankees, who seemed like possibly they were just about to promote Glaber Torres up to the big club. We take that and we then make a biblical application talking about what the Bible says about dealing with disappointment. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program, Mixing Sports with Faith. We welcome in those who may be listening from the Netherlands. Thank you for downloading the podcast this past week. We do hope you enjoy today's show. Also want to say hello to those listening in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, San Francisco, California, and Niagara Falls, New York, all places where the Beyond the Game podcast was downloaded this past week. You know who was born in Niagara Falls, New York? The late Tommy Tedesco. Said to be, if you're not familiar with him, the most recorded guitarist in history. And you would know his work. He worked with everybody in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I didn't realize he was born in Niagara Falls. He's involved in a number of memorable TV theme shows, Bonanzas, uh, MASH, Twilight Zone. He can be heard on Richard Harris's MacArthur Park. And yes, it's that Richard Harris. Older folks know him as uh, King Arthur in the movie Camelot. Younger folks know him as Albus Dumbledore before he had uh, the first two Harry Potter films before he passed away. Richard Harris's MacArthur Park featuring Tommy Tedesco. Also, Niagara Falls, Daryl Johnston. Technically Youngstown, but still Niagara Falls area. Daryl Johnston of the Cowboys, Syracuse, current Fox commentator. Center fielder, former center fielder, Rick Manning. Former Packers running back, James Starks. Not as many hockey players, though, as you might imagine, born in Niagara Falls, although Adam Clendenning was born in Niagara Falls. I think he played last year with the Rangers, free agent, if I'm not mistaken. kind of a sore spot because he should have played more and been brought back, but that's another story for another day. Wherever you may be listening, we thank you for your support. You can subscribe to the Beyond the Game podcast, have it sent to the device of your choice every week. Simply search for us on iTunes or visit our website, btgprogram.com. 
What a terrible trip for the New York Yankees out west. What did they have out there? One win? Yeah. Now, I will say a couple of those losses were by one run, and most of them were games where they had the lead or could have had the lead, but they had some bullpen issues, believe, mainly Tyler Clippard. Yeah, I believe every game in Oakland, in the sweep in Oakland, they they blew a lead in every single game. Clippard, you know, he, he's one of those guys that has a, had a really nice career. And I, watching a game the other night, I couldn't help but feel bad for this guy going through a stretch like this. I mean, you look in his eyes as they showed him on camera, he just looks lost. And I'm sure there's other teams that do this type of thing. And I know I'm a Yankees fan, so there's probably some bias here. But is there any other team that does both the big things and the small things as well or as classy as the Yankees? I mean, they can do the retirement celebrations. They can roll out the franchise great players, do the old-timers day better than anybody, in my opinion. But they also do those small things. I'm talking about things like when Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit came out to remove Mariano Rivera from the game Mm -hmm. during his last game at the stadium. Unheard of. But the other night when they finally got back into the win column, they had a big lead. They brought in Clippard to try to work through some of the long ball issues that he's been having. But after giving up a double and a home run, obviously it wasn't meant to be. So Joe Girardi goes out to the mound. He keeps talking to him while he's out there. He signaled for Aroldis Chapman to come in. But he held him up at the mound, knowing that he was going to get booed pretty soundly. Girardi lets him go to the dugout once Chapman's entry music starts blaring from the sound system. So you couldn't really hear the boos. I thought that was very classy, very, yeah. you know, it was great move by Girardi. In fact, there, there was one guy they showed on camera. He was yelling something to Clipper. The guy was seated right behind the Yankee dugout. Could have been words of encouragement for all I know, but based <laughs> on his... Uh, Demeanor. Chances are being in the Bronx, it's not. Well, I'll tell you, though, the fans weren't really as hard. And maybe, again, you couldn't hear the boos, but they weren't as hard as Clippard on Clippard as I would have thought. Many gave him a nice round of applause. I, I think they know. They really need this guy to be right. They want to see him work through whatever this is. And I've always thought Yankee fans were pretty savvy. And I'm not meaning to put any other fan base down, but there are few fan bases as savvy about the game itself, reading between the lines, knowing what's going on outside just the baseball game, as places like Boston, New York, Chicago, Cincinnati, teams that have been with their fan bases for many years. And if I if I remember right, I'm trying to think back, I think they may have played okay out west, the Yankees, last year. But I don't, I, maybe it was the year before, but typically they always seem to struggle out there. Mm. Like many people, we've talked about the depth of their farm system, how well they've done in developing and acquiring good young talent. And I guess it's a good thing because now another one of their top prospects has hit the DL and is lost for the season. Last year, it was Greg Bird, who, by the way, still out again this year, having trouble getting finding his way back to the field. Earlier this year, it was James Caprillion. Now it's Glaber Torres. He'll have to undergo Tommy John surgery after tearing his UCL in his left elbow number two prospect in all of baseball, suffered the injury sliding headfirst into home plate. Obviously inspired by the recent Pete Rose statue unveiling in Cincinnati. That must be it. It's easy to sit here and second-guess decision, which he'll have plenty of time to do as well, I guess, but I'm just so not a proponent of sliding headfirst. I know it's aggressive. I know a lot of guys can do it, and they can do it well. You see them able to pull their arms, switch their hands, avoid a tag. It looks cool, 
But in my opinion, the risk of injury is just too high. I mean, is there any great benefit to sliding head first? Brian Cashman says otherwise, but many thought for sure Torres was about to be called up soon to replace Headley at I know, third. I thought so for sure. You know, we just talked about this a little bit in shenanigans. In fact, I think Darren was in studio with us a few weeks ago. You actually asked the question during shenanigans if Torres would replace Headley. And I actually didn't think so. I'm one of the few that believe Cashman. I think the Yankees were going to wait until this coming spring training. I don't think they were going to pull him up. But because the injury is to his non-throwing arm, the Yankees do expect him to be back in time for spring training. Hey, look, he's only 20 years old. Why would they rush the guy? Other than I get it, Headley's struggling so badly. But there are other options, as we just talked about. You asked whether he should be traded. I know he was doing well, no doubt about it. I know it's a small sample size. But in 23 games at AAA, after he was promoted, he was hitting 309, two homers, 16 RBIs. I like all those numbers. But 309 in 23 games to AAA is, is really not enough for me to want to see him rushed up just right. because Headley isn't hitting. There are other options. Now, obviously, Torres has to be disappointed. Things were going so well. He gets to reflect on it, plenty of time to think about what maybe he could have done differently to have avoided being in this circumstance where he's dealing with the disappointment, like maybe not sliding headfirst in the home plate. The Yankees, though, I'm sure they're disappointed by losing Torres, and this was completely out of their control. Sure, they expect injuries along the way, never knowing really who or where, but they expect those sorts of things, but it's disappointing all the same. I'm sure Tyler Clippert is disappointed. I'm sure Chase Headley is disappointed by the way their seasons are going. Headley hearing whispers of being replaced at some point. We can look back and we can see disappointment all throughout Scripture. If you're taking in air and nourishment, then there are times when you deal with disappointment as well. Some of it you can control. Some of it you can expect, maybe even plan for, but yet it's still out of your control. But for some, it's completely unexpected, completely out of their control, and yet it happens all the same. Guys like King David, Moses, Abraham, Joseph, all dealt with disappointment, and most of it due to other people. Just think about Jesus' disciples in the gospel passages. They fully believed Jesus was the Messiah. They expected him to usher in the messianic kingdom. Imagine their disappointment when instead he was hung on a cross, crucified, and buried. Their hopes their hopes died with him, were buried with him in that tomb. You've been there, I'm sure, dealing with that sort of disappointment where you counted on something, only to have those, those dreams, those hopes dashed, those plans dashed. You know, while it can be difficult to identify, there's always a bright side. You're familiar with the phrase, this has come to pass. Well, well, it's true. Things come to pass. People and circumstances which bring us disappointment will come, but they'll also pass. The disciples expected a messianic kingdom. But if they look past that disappointment after Christ was dead, after he was buried, they would see that God had a much bigger plan. Because Jesus died, but he also rose again to rescue all of humanity from the oppression of sin. His purpose wasn't just to bring out a change in some circumstances for a group of people on earth. His death, his resurrection, can change the eternal destination of anyone who turns to him. 
Now that's a big plan. Disappointment? Disappointment is the first spark that attacks our faith. While it seems like something that's temporary, disappointment does, seems harmless, something that we just need to power through, it can halt our spiritual growth. It can leave us feeling bitter, defeated. When we place our expectations in people, we're often disappointed. Maybe a friend has betrayed you. Maybe your children have let you down in some way that maybe your spouse isn't meeting your expectations. Maybe the fact that you don't have a spouse or a significant other has left you disappointed with other people. The reality is that people will never be able to meet all your needs. They're they're just not sufficient to do that. Paul said of God, though, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. There are parts of our lives only God can fill, only God can satisfy. His grace is sufficient. Disappointment with people? You know, that should drive us to him, seeking that fulfillment. I want to encourage you that no matter what you're going through, no matter how much disappointment you feel, turn to God for hope. Don't let that disappointment fester and don't let it become depression. Don't let it be a wedge between you and other people, or even worse, you and God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thanksgiving is the antidote, if you will, to disappointment. Of course, this is all very easy for me to say. You know, chin up, stiff upper lip and all. But no matter what you're going through, we can find something to be thankful for. If you're a believer, you can be thankful that your sins are forgiven. You can find joy knowing that he has good plans for your future, no matter how dark the current circumstances may seem. He's promised never to leave you. He's promised never to forsake you all things we can be thankful for. We need to be able to leave disappointment in the past. We need to look ahead, trusting in God's plans. In chapter 2 of the Old Testament book of Haggai, the Jews were disappointed by the new temple that had been built. They were comparing it to the first one, the first one which Solomon had built, sparing no expense, hiring all the best workers. They needed to stop complaining. They needed to stop comparing it and simply be thankful for this new temple that they had. Disappointment only grows when we compare ourselves to somebody else, look at another set of circumstances, focus on how something used to be or how we think it ought to be. Those kinds of comparisons, you know, the good old days, they're rarely fruitful. There's not a lot of good in them. It didn't do the people of Haggai's day any good to think about how magnificent Solomon's temple was compared to their own work. But God told the prophet in verse 4, Be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you. We must be willing, we have to be willing to let go of the past. The Jews had to let go of of their memories of that original temple. The new temple was never going to be as grand as the first, and they had to accept that but it could still be pretty darn terrific. It may be that you need to let go of a painful memory. Maybe you need to forgive somebody, even though they'll never admit that they were wrong. As hard as it may be, if it's holding you back, if something is still a discouragement to you, then you need to let it go. 
You need to stop living in the past. And I know, I know it's hard. I know these things are easy to say, but until you do that, you will have a hard time moving ahead. One of my favorite scripture passages is Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Paul says this, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's looking ahead. He's, he's not living in the past. And now remember, Paul used to be Saul. He has a pretty dark past, has a very violent past. I'm sure it's not pleasant to think about. He doesn't. He leaves those things and he keeps pressing forward towards the mark. We have to look ahead. The Jews in Haggai's day, man, they romanticized the past completely, you know, not even thinking about the future. And what was the future? In that second chapter of Haggai, verses 6 and 7, God talks about doing remarkable things, shaking the heavens and the earth. Is there a disappointment dominating your focus? Do you find yourself looking back more often than looking ahead? Do you ever find yourself making those kinds of useless comparisons? Look ahead. God might want to shake the heavens and the earth in your life. Do yourself a favor. Give it to God. Trust him to take care of it and to bring you to a better place. What's the phrase? Let go, look up, and then look ahead. You can do it. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view, highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. Welcome back to the show, recording in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. Here is your host, Rick Benson. We've got time left for one more segment, this taken from our June 17th show. Zach and I talk about Danica Patrick and Yasiel Puig, both in the same week having a taking sort of a misstep in the way they treated fans. But we all have those days, don't we, where we say things or perhaps do things that we later regret, not in the best of moods, whatever the case may be. But we need to not only recognize our mistakes in those situations, but also to change our way after we realize what we've done. This is that segment from the June 17th show. Riding along in my automobile My baby be 
Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta at BTG program, mixing sports with faith. Zach, let me tell you what it is that really seems to frost my fanny. You know what frost my fanny? You watch your language. Did that totally frost your fanny? Get off my lawn. Man, that'll frost your fanny. If your life had a face, I would punch it. That really frosts my fanny. Easy, compadre. Did I just frost your fanny? As a matter of fact, you did. I was at an intersection the other day on this small stretch of road where, where it opens up the four lanes, two going in either direction. I'm in the left lane. I'm waiting to make a left-hand turn. And the car coming the opposite way, well, it wasn't a car. It was a delivery truck. He was in the inside lane as well, and he stops to let me turn in front of him. Now, the problem is I couldn't really see what's coming at me in the far lane because he's in this delivery truck. Mm -hmm. And I have some clown behind me beeping his horn trying to get me to go, which, like, that's going to do anything. Really, that's just going to make me take longer to Mm -hmm. make my turn. Absolutely. But I'm also getting looks from the driver in the delivery truck as to why I'm not going. Because I can't see around you, you jack wagon. Why are you mm-hmm. giving me a look? There's no way I'm trusting the truck driver like he's looked for me. You know, like he's looked in the rearview mirror and said, oh, yeah, nobody's right. coming. There's no way. Why are you stopping in a delivery truck anyway to let me turn in front of you on a four-lane road? Don't you know people can't see around you? Since I can't get out. I'm just sitting there waiting for him to move or, or waiting for something to happen. I'm not moving. I'm thinking, I'm just going to get out and kick somebody in the teeth here. But <laughs> I guess we all know that I can't get my leg up that high, so I didn't. During the Nationals game the other night against the Braves, National second baseman Daniel Murphy, who's reported to be a believer in Christ, he asked second base umpire Alan Porter if he'd move a bit so that Murphy could see better. And not an un- monumental request, not uncommon, happens all the time. They, you know, if the player is shielded, he asks the umpire to move a little bit. I have never seen an umpire refuse to move. That is until this guy. Porter actually refused to move. And you can find video of this exchange online. Murphy didn't shoot back. He didn't get into an argument. But Porter seemed really bothered by being asked. In fact, when the conversation was over, Porter turns around back towards home plate so Murphy can no longer see him. And cameras catch the umpire with some pretty foul language. They can, you know, muttering expletives at towards Murphy. After the game, Murphy told reporters that he and Porter later talked things out and got on the same page. He doesn't give a lot of detail except to say that Alan and I talked. I think we both understand we've got a job to do and we're both able to discuss and work through that. By the end of the game, there were no problems whatsoever. I I get that an umpire has a job to do, but isn't it a bit more important for the player to see? A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, shouldn't that be the higher priority? Yeah, that that whole situation just seems so bizarre. And like you said, we've been watching you and I baseball for a long time. Never seen anything like that. I never have. I guess teammate Ryan Zimmerman was, I guess, on Porter getting Murphy's back as if to say, look, man, just move. So Porter starts swearing at him. Sometimes I just I don't get umpires, and they and they they frost my family. I I, I have did I say they frost my family? They frost my family. <laughs> That's how bad it is. Your whole family's upset now. Yeah, I've umpired many games. Look, they have a tough job. I'm not saying that. Well, most of them they're great. They do a good job, but some of them are just belligerent. 
it's as if they're bitter because they're not the stars on the field or maybe they're bitter because they're like a fast food worker at McDonald's and eventually they're not going to have a job because they can be replaced by a machine. And hopefully soon. <laughs> but we've all had those days, you know. You're a little on edge. Maybe you didn't get much sleep. Maybe you're you're not feeling your best and people are just pushing your buttons. And maybe not intentionally. Maybe they're just leaning on them. But either way, the button gets pushed and, you know, they're just kind of mm. rubbing you the wrong way. It happened to me. Happened to me this weekend. You know, the temperatures were hot. I work outside all day. Thousands of people were in and out of the sports park where I work for a soccer tournament. And by Sunday afternoon, which I like to call likes to fight Sunday, because <laughs> Friday they're all happy to see each other. Saturday they're just glad to be out on these beautiful fields. But by Sunday, these parents want to fight each other because it's getting towards championship rounds and mm-hmm. the games are it's getting a little more intense. Nine-year-old, 12-year-old soccer, and parents want to fight each other. So it's like to fight Sunday. And I'm a pretty big fan of lilac bushes. We live in Rochester. We have the lilac festival, lots of lilacs around, beautiful. I planted almost a 100 or so of them around the park. One day they're going to grow. They're going to be just gorgeous. But for now, at 12 inches or 15 inches, whatever they are, they look a little bit like baby Groot. (laughs) So on Saturday, some idiot decides that he wanted to park where I had some of these lilac bushes. And what you got to know, they're nowhere near the driveway. I guess I shouldn't say they're not near it, but it's an obvious area of the park that's not a driveway. Mm -hmm. So we put some lilac bushes in. As I'm cleaning up Saturday night, I'm noticing somebody pulled all these out. They pulled five or six of them out along with these wooden stakes that I had to sort of flag the mowers where they were and then also give them some sort of support as they grow. Somebody pulled them out to park there. All right, I put them all back in, put the stakes back in. On Sunday, likes to fight day, I look over and there's a car right on top of one. And so I go over there. I roll up on the driver's side and, you know, it's the guy's, he knows I'm there, but he's pretending to keep talking to his wife or his girlfriend, whatever it is. She's in the passenger seat. She's feeling awkward at this point because she's looking at him, looking at me. And the whole thing is just weird. Mm -hmm. So I do what anybody would do. I tap on the window, except I don't tap. I really pounded on it. I didn't push where it was going to be broken, but I was making some noise, and I got his attention. I could see him jump when I started pounding as hard as I did, and I immediately felt bad about it. But the guy says, I said, look, you're on top of one of our lilac bushes. And he says, well, I didn't see it. And I'm thinking, it's because your car's on top of it, jack wagon. (laughs) And he did eventually move. But like I say... I felt bad because I didn't intend to startle him. I really wanted his attention, and I pounded a little harder, perhaps, than I should. Well, last weekend at Pocono, NASCAR driver Danica Patrick, she had one of these days. It seems to she was booed by some fans when security turned away a fan approaching her for an autograph. Patrick continued walking, but when the booing started, she turns around, goes back to the fans, and starts yelling at them. Her quote, I do the best I can. I mean, if you're a real fan, you know that I'm not just, my job is to sign autographs, right? My job is to drive a car and to tell the crew chief what's going on. I don't appreciate the booing. It hurts my feelings. I'm a blanking person, you know what I mean? I'm a person too. I have feelings. Now, 
Oh, of course, nobody wants to get booed. No athlete wants to get booed, but it happens. It's part of the territory, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It goes with the career, you think? Yeah, whether you're a pro athlete or a NASCAR driver. <laughs> I was in Lowe's a weekend or two ago buying some supplies. And I don't know if I told you this, but I was short on time. So I've never done this before. I thought, well, I'll order it online and go in and pick it up. It'll be ready for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I get in there and the order's not. I'm there an hour. I'm in the store an hour for something I ordered online and was just going to go in and pick up. Oh, boy. Yeah, it it wasn't a great experience. Lowe's is usually pretty good. I like shopping there. Yeah, oh, yeah. But I ordered it online. I get there. It's not ready. They pick it. Then they have to pick it a second time because it's not right. But they were having a bad day. Like I said, we all have these days. And when customers are backed up, I'm hearing people, because remember, I'm there for an hour in this mm-hmm. store watching all this go down. Customers are telling this poor girl how awful she is, how awful the store is, how awful the manager is, where is the manager, just giving them her a bad time. And she's trying. She's trying to wait on four or five people at once. She's not good at multitasking. I could tell this. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't getting too upset because she was at least trying. It makes me think of the story of Joe DiMaggio when he was having a bad day once. And this guy was razzing him, heckling him. A few hours later, after the game, Dimaggio goes out to an ice cream shop. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it's legend, and I love the story. He goes out to the ice cream shop, and he recognizes that the guy behind the counter, the soda jerk, is the guy who'd been heckling him at the stadium. So as he's waiting for his place in line, and the guy's waiting on other customers, Dimaggio starts heckling the ice cream guy. I would love to have seen this. And we all want that. We want to. We want to be able to come across customers who hassle us in their line of work, and be able to give them back. Danica Patrick said on Wednesday that she had a moment when she cursed at the fans. She said, in a perfect world, I would have never walked over there, and I would have just kept going. Mostly what I do every single day, if someone boos me, you just keep walking. But every now and again, they catch you in a moment, and I had a moment. That's the thing about the media coverage. You know, you've probably heard the story about Danica Patrick swearing at a fan. Mm -hmm. But she explained that that fan had gone through a security barricade trying to get the autograph. She says, I didn't feel it was right to honor that person for disrespecting the security guard and trying to get past him. So we hear in the media about her cursing at the fans. But what we don't hear is that the fan was doing something they weren't supposed to do. But now you know the rest of the story. Also this week, Los Angeles Dodgers outfielder Yasiel Puig suspended a game after flipping fans the double bird. He went both barrels Tuesday night in Cleveland after he hit a home run against the Indians. He went full on Mr. Met. <laughs> Puig said four fans in the dugout in the dugout seats. Those are the seats that you and I sat in, Zach, for one game. Oh, those are amazing. Those are pretty decent seats. You're right there at field level. You're right alongside the dugout. Well, these guys were riding him before and even after the home run, he said it. And his quote was, I reacted that way. I stooped to their level. Puig accepted responsibility for the gesture. He said he'd pay whatever fine. He, I mean, how do you not? I mean, video has you. Oh, You're yeah. pretty well dead to rights there. But because of his immediate remorse, because of his acknowledgement, a number of his teammates were able to have a little fun with it, and including Kenley Jansen. He suggested that Puig should argue that the gesture translates into thumbs up in Cuba. 
Sometimes, you know, it happens. You just have one of those days. Puig said it happened suddenly, and it was something that just came out. And It's happened to all of us. You know, sometimes you're remorseful right away. Sometimes it takes a little time. I'm hopeful that I'm hopeful that Puig would feel enough remorse that he would not flip off fans again at a baseball game, that Patrick would not curse out fans at a NASCAR race, and not because they were suspended or fined, but because they they felt bad. And, and repentance is is remorse, but it's the next step. It includes the extra step of not only acknowledging and feeling remorseful, but that you change your ways so that those things are not something you do again. The same is true when it comes to our sin. We will ultimately receive a punishment for sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a physical death, which we all face one day. We're all going to die. That's the wages of sin. It's death. But there's also a spiritual death, a separation from God. That's hell. A separation from a holy and righteous God. But when we realize that our sins put Jesus Christ on the cross, when we realize that he went there to pay for our sins, well, I would think that would bring about some form of remorse. Jesus died on the cross so that if anyone believed that he died, was buried, and rose again, well, they could be forgiven of sins. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, regardless of what you what you've done, regardless of the depth of your sin, God is ready to forgive you. A broken relationship with God, well, well, it's restored with repentance. And repentance starts with remorse, a humble, a genuine apology, saying I'm sorry, asking forgiveness, but then making changes. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the most tragic accounts in the Bible is that of Judas. He betrayed the very one who was going to the cross to die and pay for his sins. Judas felt remorse over betraying Jesus and even said that he had sinned. Matthew 27, 4, Judas says, I I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He knew what he had done was wrong, yet he never repented. He felt enough remorse to end up taking his own life. But nowhere in Scripture do we see him repent. If we want to be right before God, we got to make sure that our repentance is genuine. And that involves a heartfelt sorrow. But it's followed by an action to correct them. That's not to say we're not going to sin again. Of course we will. But there's a change in our life where we're striving to avoid them. The Apostle Paul says that, Godly sorrow produces a repentance, almost as if it happens naturally. Second Corinthians 7.10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. I think it's, it's, it's a matter of, you know, I, I feel bad about that, and then I feel bad enough about that to make changes. True repentance requires not only admitting our wrong to God and and maybe even to other people, but it's also taking practical steps of obedience to correct those wrongs. Some sins may have may become so habitual over the years that change isn't going to happen overnight. It's not going to be corrected instantly. But don't, don't let that be an excuse for not doing anything at all. 
Come up with a plan. A plan that draws you into full obedience to Christ. There are many who teach that all a sinner has to do is to believe in Jesus for eternal life. That repentance has nothing to do with salvation. It's something that comes later. And make no mistake, I'm not saying repentance is part of a works-based salvation. Salvation from sin is by grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Repentance, however, it is a part of it. It is evidence, I guess, of a, of a truly remorseful heart. Repentance is not just something that we do at the time of salvation. It's something that really is the hallmark of a believer's life. It's, it's constantly there. As the Holy Spirit convicts us through God's word, we should be continually repenting things we do wrong. If you've not come to a place in your life where you've considered your sins and what that may mean for you, what happens to you after you die, a place in heaven only comes with forgiveness. It only comes with forgiveness of sins. That's the only way to get to heaven. And forgiveness is available to anyone who would seek it. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to be saved from your sins, ask God today to forgive you. Don't wait. Pray to God and tell him that you know you're a sinner. Just like Danica Patrick, I knew I was wrong. Yasiel Puig, I knew I made a mistake. Tell God you know you're a sinner. Tell him you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. Admit your guilt and seek his forgiveness. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. That's the thing that so many of us in an apologize, in an apology, we forget to actually ask someone to forgive us. But then turn away from your sins and leave them in the past. Begin a new journey. Seek after righteousness. Draw closer to God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you want to know more about a faith in Christ, you can reach out to us through our website, and if you just want some prayer, we'd love to pray for you. You can reach out to us anonymously through our studio line, 585-431-1202. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Well, there you have it, an encore presentation of the Beyond the Game program. I hope you enjoyed some of the different segments from some of our recent shows. We do wish you a very happy and safe Independence Day weekend. And be sure to check out the Myth and Mysteries podcast if you haven't already. If you enjoy myths, curious stories, unsolved mysteries, you'll love this podcast done by Zach Barletta and his brother, Myth and Mysteries. It's available on iTunes and Google Play. Visit their website, mythandmysteriespod.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at the same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. 